0: The following Ira on Sports has been previously recorded. Please enjoy some of Ira's best interviews from 2018, and Ira and the crew look forward to bringing you a new show next Monday night at 7 p.m. on the True Oldies channel for Ira on Sports. You are listening to Ira on Sports 95.9, the True Oldies channel. It's 7:33. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring in Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster. You know his voice from the NFL, NCAA, golf, also Olympics. He's a graduate of Syracuse, so he gets a plus one in my book. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us here on Ira on Sports. you're doing well we are doing great um so you know we know that we want to talk some nfl with you but going back to iris point i'm sure you heard who do you think is going to make this final spot in the uh, ncaa playoff
1: i think it's crazy right now right i mean the the results over the weekend were wild i understand all your points i would lean towards oklahoma i think ultimately it's not going to matter i think alabama is going to beat whoever (laughs) is put in front of them but it does make for good debate and uh it's been exciting i watched a lot of the notre dame game Saturday night, it was impressive to me, even though they beat a, a weaker USC team that they dug out of a hole. They didn't look good in the first half, so I think we will have some excitement, but I think it's going to be tough for anyone to beat Alabama.
0: Andrew, um, you know, before we get into the sports questions, I think everyone who is a sports fan has at one point sat back, turned the TV off, and tried to do play-by-play by themselves. How did you get involved with this, what a lot of people would consider a dream job?
1: Yeah, without a doubt, I feel really fortunate to uh, to go to an NFL game every Sunday. It's uh, something I never take for granted, and it was just as a kid, it was just a passion of mine to to get into sports. I knew it wasn't going to be athletic enough to uh, to do it on my own, so I was going to have to announce somebody else doing it. And um, Syracuse, as you mentioned, has a great program for it. I've met a lot of good people along the way, and and, and like any business, but I think especially this business, you got to have some. Breaks and you got to be in the right place at the right time. And I think that happened to me uh, in my career, and I'm uh, very lucky uh, to, to do a game each Sunday.
0: Well, let's talk about the game you did this prior Sunday Ravens versus Raiders. You know, Andrew, going into this, everyone was saying, uh, Joe Flacco, this is his job. This is Joe Flacco's team. After another win for Lamar Jackson, do you think the tides are turning? Do you think that they might be h- handing the reins over to Lamar?
1: Yeah, I think that it's going to be a fascinating week in Baltimore. Uh this is going to be the biggest decision of John Harbaugh's yes. tenure as Ravens head coach and this is his 11th season right now. They've won two in a row uh without Joe Flacco. Lamar Jackson has looked to me like a rookie. Now, he, he's done some good things, but he's also made some mistakes. He threw a couple of poor interceptions yesterday. But ultimately, what he has done is he has rejuvenated their run game. Yes. And that has made a big difference against two weaker teams, the Bengals' defense and the Raiders' defense, nothing to write home about. But, you know, in the off season, Baltimore invested a lot of money in John Brown and Michael Crabtree and Willie Sneed. They put a lot of money into their wide receivers, and Flacco is clearly the better passer. So... I have no idea what John Harbaugh is going to do. I'm fascinated by it. I can't wait to see who he puts out there in in Atlanta. And that's all assuming that Flacco is healthy and returns to practice this week. But I think either way, you'll see more of Lamar Jackson than you did, even if Joe Flacco returns. But there's definitely a chance this could be Lamar Jackson's show the rest of the season. And I'd be fascinated to see how the Ravens do.
2: Andrew, this is Ira. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, The question also is about this game is the Raiders. Uh, there was so much enthusiasm. I and mean, I watched with anticipation at Gruden's press conference and everybody expected. I don't think people expected to go 16-0, but they, you know, they've heard John Gruden for so long, like you do, the games. And, and it was interesting. And people, were I guess, expecting big things. Uh, the year has not turned out anyway, as you know, like what everyone thought was going to happen. Where do you think the Raiders go from here? And do you think Gruden's going to be able to turn this around?
1: Yeah, I think he will, but I think it's going to take some time, and I think a lot of people expected immediate results when you have a team that went to the playoffs in 2016, you return some of the core players, and then you have a coach who's getting a $100 million contract. So... I don't think everyone expected it to be like it is right now. They've got a lot of things against them. Obviously, they trade Khalil Mack. They trade Amari Cooper. They don't have a home for next year right now. Their lease is up in Oakland. They're not supposed to go to Vegas till 2020. There's really not another option to go to Vegas a year early. So they're in limbo for next year. But the, here's the good news. They've got the three draft picks. They've got their own pick. They've got the Cowboys pick. They've got the Bears pick. They're going to have about $75 million in cap space in the offseason. So this is going to give John Gruden some time to do what he wants with this team. So, yes, they're taking their lumps. But to be fair to them, I think it could be a lot uglier for them in the situation they're in right now. Their guys are still trying hard. They have the right attitude. The wins are not coming. I don't even know how good they'll be next year. But I think down the road when they get to Vegas – they will be a team that competes for Super Bowls under John Gruden. I really believe that.
2: Well, Andrew, I spent a lot of time in Vegas and I was just there two weeks ago, and the enthusiasm for this team, I mean, they could be 0-100, but the enthusiasm <laughs> is over the top. I mean, that's all people are talking about. Um, it is Everyone's wearing Raiders gear wherever you walk around, and it's its definitely I don't think a team's going to be more embraced than this team. They are as excited. You see what the, the Knights are doing in Vegas, and I think the Raiders are going to be multiplied that times a 100. Um, but I guess you're doing the, gol- the Dolphins game this weekend, so I don't know if you've done your prep work yet, but as you as you might know, they they did lose to the Colts, and I didn't. What's your what's your impression of the Dolphins being five and six, and Tannehill coming back but losing and, and blowing a 24-14 lead? It looked like a game was in hand.
1: Yeah, so I did the Dolphins a couple of weeks ago when they beat the Jets in that uh, that offensive shootout in Miami. And, and <laughs> I have I did already watch the uh, the Colts game from yesterday, and, and yeah, not a good fourth quarter for sure. That was a big game against an Indianapolis team that I'm very high on. I've had them three times now. In the regular season, I'm really impressed with what the Colts are doing under Frank Reich. But, but to the Dolphins' point, uh, you know, I know that the play calling was questioned down the stretch. I'm a big believer in Adam Gates. I think that he's been dealt some tough cards these last couple of years, specifically with injuries, and we saw it again this year with Tannehill out. Looking at their schedule, it's not going to be an easy finish for them. I mean, Buffalo has won two in a row, then the Patriots at Minnesota. Jacksonville is in a weird situation right now, with firing their offensive coordinator today and benching Blake Bortles. So that's their Week 16 game, then Week 17 at Buffalo. And you're already talking about a very crowded AFC with the Ravens winning yesterday and also know, Indianapolis at 6-5. So I think it's an uphill climb for them to get into the playoffs, but I think that they'll compete, I think they'll battle, and I think that they'll be playing meaningful games in December. I just don't know if it'll be enough to get them into the playoffs,
2: and I think this this Sunday's game against the Bills is interesting for Dolphin fans because there was a lot of talk before the season started is drafting, you know, moving up and making a trade to draft somebody. And one of the players people were talking about was Josh Allen, who's the Bills' quarterback as a as a rookie, who's had an, had an up and down year. But people seemed, what's your what's your impression in terms of? I know that uh, they had a nice win against the Jags, twenty four twenty one, yesterday. But what's your impression of the Bills so far and of Josh Allen?
1: Yeah, so I do the bills in the preseason, so I spent a lot of December. I just don't know if it'll be enough to get them into the playoffs.
2: And I think this, this Sunday's game against the Bills is interesting for Dolphin fans because there was a lot of talk before the season started is drafting, you know, moving up and making a trade to draft somebody. And one of the players people were talking about was Josh Allen, who's the Bills quarterback as a, as a rookie, who's an, had an up and down year. But people seemed, what's your, what's your impression in terms of, I know that uh, they had a nice win against the Jags 24-21 yesterday, but what's your impression of the Bills so far and of Josh Allen?
1: Yeah, so I do the Bills in the preseason, so I spent a lot of time around Josh Allen this summer, and I and I've had a couple of his games this year, including the one he got hurt in uh, in Houston. Uh, I think he's I think he's got a chance to be a very good quarterback in this league. I don't I'm not impressed with the Bills' offensive line. I, I think that's part of the reason why he got hurt. It's part of the reason why the Bills have not had as much success this year as they did last year. But I think there's a lot of potential for Josh Allen. He's still so raw, uh, you know, playing in the Mountain West Conference at Wyoming. Wasn't tested at, at the big stage that much, uh, but he's got all the physical tools. I think the surprise to everyone, and you saw it yesterday in their went over Jacksonville, was his running ability. He rushed for 99 yards, but he's got a huge arm. And I think as the Bills' offensive line gets better around him and some of the weapons improve, he really doesn't have anyone to throw to right now. Kelvin Benjamin has been a disappointment since arriving at Buffalo. Their tight end, Charles Clay, has been hurt. LaShawn McCoy is not having a very good year. I think once Buffalo gets some more weapons around him, you're going to see him develop into a a really a top-flight quarterback in the league.
0: It's 741. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We're speaking with Andrew Cattle on CBS Sports play-by-play broadcaster. Hear his voice every Sunday. Um... So let's take the opposite side of the coin here, here, Andrew. What do the Jaguars have to do here? This isn't all on Blake Bortles' shoulders, is it? I mean, I know he's getting benched, but this team has more issues than just awful quarterback play.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the fact that their defense has played as poorly as it has this year is such a mystery. I mean, uh, I did them a number of times last year, and we all saw what they did. They were a win away from the Super Bowl, and pretty much everyone came back on the defensive side. So, yes, Blake Bortles... He gets all the blame. He got benched today, and I'm not saying that Blake Bortles has you know, uh, played well by any means this season. Uh, but it's, it's a lot more than him, and to me, it's really on the defense. Uh, I don't know yeah. how it's gone wrong for them. Uh, they have a lot of big egos on that team, and a lot of guys that have, are you know, used to success. Uh, and certainly on the heels of last year when they played so well. And I always wondered if it kind of went the wrong way, how that defensive unit would stick together. And they have some great leadership in, in Calais Campbell especially, but there's also some other, some other guys on that team that you, know, you really wonder about how much they stick together. So I think it's just been a, a perfect storm of things that have gone wrong. You look at the offensive side of the ball, they've just been decimated by injuries. They lost their left tackle early. They've lost three tight ends. Uh, they lost Marquis Lee in the preseason. Again, these are not excuses uh, for Blake Bortles, but it's definitely not all Blake Bortles. to the reason why Jacksonville has falling apart.
0: It, it's the weirdest swing I've ever seen in my life. A defense going from just absolutely maybe one of the best defenses I've ever seen to not be able to stop anybody. The, the Bills can't score on anybody. and They're dropping points on you. You've got issues. Uh, speaking about not scoring points, You got the New York Jets uh, twice so far this season. I'm a Giants fan. So um, it's got to be a lot of fun going in there and seeing these Jets play. But, you know, this was an interesting game. Tom Brady and the Patriots, they did win this one. You're supposed to win this game. Do you think that Tom Brady is no longer considered elite? I mean, granted, he had two touchdowns this week. But the last three weeks, only one touchdown. I'm still taking him on a two-minute drill. But I don't know if he's on the level of some of these quarterbacks as he's, you know, 40 years old now.
1: Yeah, I'm still one of those guys that's never going to pick against the Patriots until they actually lose the division or, or you know lose a couple playoff games. Uh, they haven't been playing their best football, but I think if you look around the AFC especially, there's uh, there's no dominant team. You could make a case for the Chiefs, but I could also point you to their defense and yes. show you why I don't think they're a dominant team. Uh, so I feel like the AFC is still wide open this year. Gronkowski was out a little bit, you know, injured the last few weeks. I think that certainly hurt their offense. I don't know how good their offensive line is compared to previous years. So I'm still one of those guys that if you say you can take Brady or you can take the Chiefs, I'm probably still going to pick Brady. I mean, that that's just the type of team they are, the type of coach they have, and the type of quarterback they have.
2: Andrew, just I wanted to go over one more AFC game this weekend was, I mean, two teams that are sort of going, I guess, opposite directions in terms of their records are similar. But one, there's hope like in Cleveland. You know, they beat the Bengals 35-20, but they have the quarterback of the future and the one who's playing the best of all the, the rookies. And then the Bengals, which is just a total disaster right now. And, and now Andy Dalton's going to be out for the rest of the year. Um, have, did, did you get it? You know, sort sure of you've seen Mayfield play. What is your impressions of him? And is he is he is really as good as he's looking right now?
1: Yeah, no, I've been impressed with him sitting in meetings with him and, and talking with him this season. Uh, he's got all the traits of a leader. He's he's not uh, cocky or arrogant, but he's definitely a confident guy. And I think that his teammates gravitate to him, and that's exactly what you look for in a quarterback. And uh, I think they've got a lot of good pieces there in Cleveland. You're already starting to see it come to fruition. Obviously, they have a huge decision coming up in the off season as to what to do with head coach. But I think there's a lot of nice, young pieces it's obviously a tremendous fan base. It's, I, think it's, I think it's a very good and attractive job uh, coming up in the offseason. You're going to look yeah. around the league and see which jobs are open, and you can kind of start guessing now what's going to be there. I think Cleveland, with a young quarterback at Baker Mayfield, uh, a great fan base, as I mentioned, and, and you know, a guy like Chubb at running back and some young guys uh, on the defensive side, I, I think that's going to be a really attractive head coaching job this offseason.
2: Now a game tonight, I think I'm excited about this game because you just don't know what Tennessee Titans. is I it smelling upset? Is this the Titans team that loses to uh, is the beats the Patriots and, and looks like uh, <laughs> like uh, they're gonna win the Super Bowl or the Titans team that just loses to everybody else? I mean, I think the Houston, Texas the Tennessee Titans, I know you've done the, have you done a couple Houston games, you've done a Houston game and a Titan game this year so far. So what's your impression of the game tonight?
1: Yeah, I did Houston against Tennessee week two, a game that Tennessee, out. I've had Houston a number of times, and I I had the Titans last game last week when they lost to the Colts. And they didn't just lose to the Colts; they got destroyed by the Colts. Of course, Mariota went down in the second quarter, but but even at that point, I don't think they were going to win. Look, I thought they were going in the right direction after that Patriots win. I watched that entire game. I, I couldn't, you know, I thought Tennessee was ready to take off, and then they do what they did last week in Indianapolis, and it just leaves you scratching your head. Look, the Texans are at home. They've won seven in a row. Uh, I, I, I think they're going to keep riding this momentum tonight. I think Tennessee's in a, in a weird spot coming off a bad loss. Quarterback is not 100%, as we saw. Uh, I think this is a tough one for Tennessee. I'm not going to count them out in the playoff race, uh, but tonight I would probably go with the Texans.
2: And one last question, Andrew, I appreciate you coming on the show is a lot of people ask me, <laughs> I was wondering this, how do you, how do you, do you know in, in advance which games you're going to do? Like, is it two weeks in advance or do you just do they actually wait till the end of the week and then tell you like on Monday, oh, this is where you're going to be the next week?
1: Yeah, we usually find out about two weeks in advance. So I know I'm going to Miami this week and I know that next week I've got Denver at San Francisco and you know, some of the, the issues become, you know, the NFL changes the schedule around with flexes and Sunday night football games, moving in and out. So it's a little hard to get our games so far in advance. And they also kind of want to see what the matchups are. So, the only time I find out six days before is week 17 because that's when they set the schedule for the last game of the regular season after the games for week 16. But other than that, I at least have a week, and it's usually it's a little closer to two weeks' advance notice.
2: Well, it'll be great to be down here in South Florida. Well, I'm going to be at the steelers charger game. <laughs> but anyway. Um, Good but, for you. But any, do you want to make a comment on the Steelers? Any, I'll throw that, that's my. I've been to eight of the ten games this year so far, eight of the
1: eleven. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was a tough loss yesterday, for sure. In Denver, always a tough place to play. But, uh, you know, it's a Denver team that I'm not completely sold on. I thought that was a tough loss for Pittsburgh. But now it sounds like Melvin Gordon is going to be out at least a couple of weeks for the Chargers, and that's a massive loss. As much as I love Phillip Rivers and their offense, removing Melvin Gordon from the Chargers' offensive attack is is really going to change the dynamic of their of their offense so that game is in Pittsburgh and, and I, I'm pretty sure that the, that the Steelers will be uh, looking for some payback after that tough one they lost in Denver yesterday
2: well well enjoy your broadcast here in Miami it's nice and warm it's much warmer here than it is up in New York at this time of the year so <laughs> you'll, you'll like that and uh, appreciate you coming on Iron sports
0: the following IRA on sports has been previously recorded please enjoy some of IRA's best interviews from 2018 and IRA and the crew look forward to Bringing you a new show next Monday night at 7 p.m. on the True Oldies channel for Ira on Sports. Um, we do have our special guest on the line. He is Tim Frank, the NBA's Senior Vice President of Communications. We can get back to uh, baseball uh, f- once we wrap this up. Uh, Tim, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Ira on Sports. I- I've got a question for you before we get to Ira. Manu Ginobili, guy had an amazing career, 16 seasons. He announced today he's going to retire. In your book, Tim, Manu, a Hall of Famer?
3: I think he has to be. I mean, I I just, when you win at the level he won, and and I I think when people sometimes, you know, get hung up on numbers, but um, his numbers were largely affected by the selflessness he had as a player. I mean, he you know, he came off the bench Mm -hmm. for much of his career because Coach Popovich thought it was the best thing for the team. And, I mean, God knows, you know, how much um, they won during that time. I saw the stat today that he is the – Highest winning percentage of any player that played over a thousand games. That was in the Spurs release. I mean, I think that says everything about him. You know, he he took a small, you know, took his country, which had never won before, to an Olympic gold. Uh, he had great success over in Europe before coming into our league. I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine a guy like him not finding a place into the hall.
0: Um, Ira, what do you got for Tim?
4: Tim, thanks a lot for coming on the show tonight. Uh, I guess, that and that leads into my next question. The international influx into the NBA, I mean, you must be just ecstatic about now the fact that there's fans. When I go to a Knicks game, and I know you go to these Nick games and see it, and you're sitting, and there could be the Knicks playing Denver. And if there's a foreign player on Denver's team that's not even getting in the game, they might have a 1,000 of those fans there just showing up for that player who's not even getting in the game. Talk about the international influx into the NBA.
3: Well, we've been lucky. I mean, you know, it's, it's – um... You know there was a time uh, you know, not so long ago you know when you and I were you know in high school or college and in, in which you know everybody looked at international players in a different way and i and I think um you know starting with guys like akeem and then through Dirk and Duncan and a lot of these other guys that that came in international Manu tony parker i think the the whole attitude about international players changed, and what we've seen is uh, an incredibly different player than we pictured back then, and 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 I think that has raised our profile, obviously in those countries, but also you know throughout the world. Uh, because I think what has become clear to all players in the world is is if you're good enough, you can make the NBA, it, you know, and it doesn't matter if you live on the other side of the planet. And and I, I think that attraction probably makes us as unique as anybody because. Um, you know, we certainly have had so many players from so many different countries. It's, I um, mean, you know, we went over. You know, I think we were at 110 or something like that to start the season last year. Were international players, and that's that's just a crazy number when you think about. You know, where we started with this whole thing back in the 80s and 90s.
4: Well, Tim, I guess that leads to the next question. Also, I remember when we were young. You know, I wanted to watch the Celtics, Lakers, and, and the NBA Finals, and you say, "Oh, it's must-see game." I have to stay up to 11:30 at night on CBS watching it and tape delay and telling everyone around me, don't tell me what happened in the game, I want to know. And now I've been to 50 NBA finals games. I've been to 18 in the last 20 traveling around the country going to see LeBron, paying a zillion dollars on tickets. So, what <laughs> has made the NBA this hot sport? What do you think is like, I guess a couple of the factors that's gone up from being on tape delay watching people watching the finals NBA at finals, 11:30 at night to now being the sport when they're playing, you ever you have finals on? you have a big game on any big games. That's the sport that people are talking about.
3: Yeah, I mean, sadly, I remember those tape delays too. As um, you know, you try not to watch the sports. Uh, you know, you and I grew up in the same hometown on WTAJ, so that you wouldn't uh, be impacted uh, to watch the game. But you know, I you know, I think there's been so many factors. I mean. You know when when Larry Bird and Magic Johnson came in together, that was a huge factor. Then Michael Jordan, you know, took it to another level. After that, I think most recently, what we've seen is, um, you know, in the early, late '90s, early 2000s, uh, the game was really a slugfest, um, and um, the NBA had a committee that was led by Jerry Colangelo and Jerry West was on it, and Rod Thorne, and David Stern was uh, the one that put it together, and and they basically looked at the game and realized it was not being played the way it was intended to be played so we you know we went through some really hard times where we got rid of hand checking the game became um more free-flowing uh which made it more exciting for fans um it matched athleticism of our players point guards became important again because you could be a little guy and be successful because no one could just arm bar you, you know out the mid um, and the game changed, and so it became a very open game. Uh, shooting became a premium, quickness became a premium, um, and it and it really became something that I think fans really enjoyed watching. And and you know, then the last you know 15 years in particular, uh, we've had an influx of players that have just been terrific players on the court, but just really great ambassadors to the sport. Um, that have helped raise the profile. And I, and I think, um, I think when, when people have enjoyed watching those players and, and getting to know those players through the game, I think it just raised our league to a level that um, you know, we hope continue, we can continue to grow from.
4: Well, yeah, and you talk about the profile of the players. Major League Baseball is calling out Mike Trout, their superstar, for not doing much, as much on social media to promote himself. Whereas the NBA, you could have the 12th guy on a team have a million Twitter followers. So, I mean, you're head of communications. I mean, you are helped the fact that the NBA players are so telegenic and so affable in terms of the interviews and everything. But uh, what, what, what has made your social media greatness? I mean, sort of the NBA is the, the standard for the social media for their players.
3: You know, I think the issue I, for us was, is, is just our players embraced it from the minute it came around. And it became the, you know, like anything else in life. It, if it becomes the cool thing to do, people follow. And and I, you know, I don't. I'm sure you can remember when Twitter first came around. Shaq was one of the first public figures to really embrace it. And I, I think it just made our players, um, you know, really attach uh, to the fans because they had more direct roots to them. And and so I, I think our, uh, you know, our players have have really embraced it to to a level that. I don't think anybody could have anticipated early on. I think, you know, early it was probably a fear, you know, about, um, you know, because when you get on social media, you send some; it's out there, and there was probably a worry that guys would maybe not do it the right way. But our guys have handled it terrifically, and and they've, you know, we've had some issues here and there, but very minor ones and and pretty minimally. And so I, I think we've been we've been a, a real um success because of of how our players have been able to use it and their their willingness to use it and i think it's really you know everybody jokes about nba twitter because i i you can't be a part of the nba right now and not be on twitter
4: <laughs> That's good What about I mean The NBA gets a lot of, I think Unfair criticism On the super team concept I, I, I was in Miami You know We're certainly In the, in, in the Miami area And when the, when the When the LeBron Came there Everyone I mean They were rock stars the, the Beatles They walked around All around And it was tremendous And now the Warriors Are the super team And the, they're creating Super teams In other places But then there's Other markets Like Utah Donovan Mitchell Gets drafted You put Rudy Gobert Around him And suddenly You have a great team Without you know adding All these free agents But what is the league's position on, the you know, when people say all these super teams are killing NBA, that type of thing?
3: Yeah, I mean, all we've seen is, you know, the the increase in everything that we do since, you know, this sort of concept was uh, sort of made up, I would say, because I think we all have short memories. I mean, you know, I mean, you mentioned back in the 80s, um, you know, you can go further back than that. I mean, the Celtics and Lakers were super teams they were just put together differently. You know, I mean, like, uh, there were four or five Hall of Famers on those teams. And, and I, I think we, we sometimes forget that. And, you know, now free agency has been, become such that players uh, are utilizing it more than they ever have. Um, contract lengths are, 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 are lower than they used to be as, as a result of our, um, our recent collective bargaining agreement. And so guys are using the system to, to play where they want to play and 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 i think um i think sometimes we we don't understand that these are people as well i mean you know you and i decide we want to leave a job and go somewhere else and everybody tells us how great of a decision it was and boy i'm glad you're happy a player does that because he's not particularly happy in his current situation and and we want to vilify them so I think it's just a. I think it's just a different dynamic in this day, but I don't think it's it's largely different than what we've seen throughout the history of the league. I mean, we've had great teams um, so much so that some people are always questioning: Could the Warriors beat those Celtics teams? Could they beat those Lakers teams from the night or from the '80s? Could they beat those Bulls teams from the '90s? I mean, I, I think everybody understands that that this is. Um, we've always had teams with great players, and that's not going to change. It's just the mechanism on how it gets done.
4: And then one of the things that's really helped the NBA is the G League or D League, Development League. They keep changing the name, but the idea that there never was a minor league for basketball. Um, players like, as we know, Mike Isolino had to go over to, if they didn't make the NBA team after two years of playing, they're playing in Europe, and they're, it's harder for it to you know, get out of contract when you're playing in Italy to come help an NBA team. But now you have this G League, you have two-way contracts where – layers are going back and forth. And almost every team, I think it's going to be next year, every team will have its own development team. Talk about that growth. I know you were very important and integral in the development of the G League, but just talk a little about what the G League has meant to the NBA.
3: You know, it's it's great. And I think, unfortunately, people haven't necessarily understood how great it is yet. Um, you know, the reality, we just announced the schedule today. We're going to have 27 teams in the league this year. You know, we hope to get to a 30-for-30 30 30 model, as you said, maybe by next year or the year after. Um, it, it, it's just such a valuable mechanism for player development. Um, you know, When we first started, it was not what it is now. Now teams have control uh, of a lot of, the, of their affiliates. Um, they, 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 they basically get them the coaching that they need to develop into players within their NBA system. Um, but more importantly for players, it puts them in this country – to be able to be called up during the season. Um, You know, when you make a decision to go overseas, um, which, you know, you mentioned Mike, you know, who we grew up with, I mean, you know, that was the only decision to make then for the most part. Now you put yourself in a really solid uh, minor league system over here in the United States and you have a better chance to be called up during a season. Once you're international, there is no call up during the season. And and so you just have to decide what you want. I mean, and, and you know, as a player, and that puts you in a good position. We have the two-way contracts now, and the two-way contracts enable you to sign and be able to play with both the the, um, the parent club and the affiliate. Um, that gives you a great opportunity to be able to to learn more about the organization, to be able to learn from the coaches, all of those types of things that put you in a much better position to be an NBA player. So. Yeah, we're thrilled with it, and and I think um, the more uh, it's around, the more people are embracing it. Uh, it's on television more, which, of course, brings more attraction to it, but um, but we, we're we we're pretty proud of what's happened there, and, and we actually think it's, it's still at its infant stages. We feel it can grow even to a, a much larger uh, impact into the, the whole NBA community.
4: And, um, Tim, Frank, what uh, uh, we have on from the Senior Communications, Vice President of Communications of the NBA, uh, on True Oldies in West Palm Beach. But the question, and one of the questions I have is, we've talked about on our show, is NBA expansion. I would just tell me you're putting a team in Pittsburgh. I would do anything for a team in Pittsburgh. I, everyone asks me what my favorite basketball team is, and I do switch loyalties from the Heat to where I'm all over the pores. I've gone to so many NBA games, but I would do anything for a team in Pittsburgh. But I know that's not realistic. But where do you think, you know, the NBA looks like they possibly could add a couple more teams? where what are you looking for? I mean people mentioned seattle vegas what or europe what what is the n b a s position on expansion right now?
3: you know at the moment we're not even looking at it i mean it's it is a um we feel really solid with where we are as a league um, there's not really any movement to expand um will we at some point you know we'll see i mean I, I think there's probably a chance that that'll happen at some point down the road, but as of right now, I I think we're really really comfortable with 30 teams. We we feel good in the markets we're in. Um we we feel um that we're that you know we have a great um, um you know amount of talent coming into the league and it's being properly distributed and and listen if there's one thing we need to get better at it's how we distribute that talent um to make the you know give the league even more parity and and so I I think for us right now that's just not a it's just not something we're looking at in any type of um meaningful way. Um but it's always there and, and, and it's um you know, and our friends in Seattle, which obviously we were there for a long time. They they want a team, you know, Vegas has, you know, become a major league team. I'm sure they're they're all interested for the time when we answer the call on that, but as of now that's not something we're looking at.
4: And I guess the last question I want to ask is, I mean, this is a really a big topic in terms of the reseeding, and I know that Adam Silver has mentioned it a couple times um, in terms of East and West. And um, I think it'd be difficult, as me who likes to go to the games and travel, I sort of like to keep it East and West. It's it's really hard to go back and forth as I go between Golden State and Cleveland the last four years. So it uh, has been difficult uh, trying to find those flights, and it's a lot easier to go up and stay on the coast. But what is what has what's the NBA's position on this idea of reseeding the the NBA teams when they get into the playoffs? So there's no East Conference, West Conference, and those things.
3: Well, first of all, we love the fact that you want to go to all the finals games. We need we love having fans like you. But um, you know, for us, I think it's a matter of the logistics of the whole thing. I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, you know, although you know our fly our flight situation is different for our teams it is still a lot of miles to put on the body and, and, um, and the, and the reality is, is we would add, you know, 40 to 50% more travel is our estimate. If, if we went to just seating one through 16, um, if we, in in order to do that, we actually feel pretty, pretty strongly that we'd have to balance the schedule in some way, or at least get close to balancing the schedule. And if you do that, you're adding, you know, another 5,000 miles per team during the regular season. So, You know, in a time when we have made a really concerted effort um, to reduce those types of numbers, um, you know, when we've been doing our schedule the last few years, it sort of um, would go kind of exactly opposite of that. So, you know, it's something we always are looking at. Um, we, We look at it every summer. Um, when we go through things. um, But it's a very, it's a lot harder change than people necessarily think it is. Um, There's there's a lot that would have to happen. um, And and I just don't think at this point, um, we think it's worth it. I mean, the reality is, is there are still, you know, as we go into this year, you know, we feel we got really good teams, you know, in both conferences. And I, I don't, you know, most of the most of the time, our finals. You know, this is an exception this year, but most of the time, our finals are going six and seven games. I mean, you know, so we feel like we get a pretty good balance um, once we get to that point. So I, I don't, I don't know that we necessarily view it as uh, as the issue that a lot of other people do. Um, but again, um, the one thing about Adam is, is he's very open to looking at a lot of things. You know, when, you know one of the first things he did. Is when he went back to the two two one 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 in the finals, um, where we were two three two for all those years, and, and he felt from a competitive standpoint it was the most fair thing, and, and that's what the teams felt like. And we ended up making the change, so he certainly, while he respects history, he's not married to it, and so if we get to a point that we feel we want to make those changes, I think he'd be willing to do it. But I, I just don't think we're at that point yet.
4: Yeah, I mean it is funny. I mean you're right. The teams have their own private jets, but as someone who tries to fly between Cleveland and uh, and San Francisco, uh, there's like you take there's like one or two flights a day that are direct. It's very very difficult to have there. Um, I guess I guess the final question I have is in terms of what uh, the the new rules. I mean I think the NBA is always tweaking. It's not. I don't think you have some major rules in terms of like the hand checking. I mean certainly uh, with the 24 second clock, uh, when the ball gets shot at the moment, instead of resetting the clock you're going back to 14 seconds not resetting the clock for 24. Anything about these new rules that you're excited about that you think are going to really help uh, with the NBA this next year?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say, you know, these are things that our competition committee has recommended, um, is going to recommend to the board of governors. The board still has to vote on it, so they're certainly not in place yet. Uh, I am, am particularly excited about the um, the 14-second reset. Um, I've seen that um, in other leagues. Uh, actually, it was funny. I was just watching the WNBA playoffs yesterday, and at the end of the game, that came up. And you know what you're going to see is, and I and I think anybody that has studied this statistically would tell you it doesn't. Most shots after offensive rebound occur within like the first few seconds. But what I think you're going to see, you know, if this rule is passed, is at the end of the game, it's going to change strategy significantly. Um, you know, if, if I get a rebound now, an offensive rebound with, you know, um, 24 seconds to go in the game, and I'm up two, before the other team had to foul me, there was just no choice. Now, you know, with a, with only resetting to 14, you can play defense, you can get another stop, get the rebound, and have 10 seconds to try to score to tie or win the game. So, I think that part is going to make the end of games particularly exciting. And and it puts us in a position where you know you know the sort of the the thing you hate at the end of games is the you're fouling to get the ball back and hopefully that'll um, reduce that a little bit and I think it'll make it more fun so I'm I'm particularly excited about that about that piece because I think I think it adds a lot of excitement at the end of games.
4: Well, we had uh, uh, Nick Elam of the Elam Ending on last week on the show. I, I I know you guys have probably looked at that, and that's way down the line, maybe <laughs> maybe a couple commissioners from now. But that's that that, that, that and certainly it's interesting to to the concept. And they was on the basketball tournament to watch that and see how his plan to end the games in terms of adding points onto a score rather than have a clock run at the end of the game.
3: Yeah, incredibly creative idea. I mean, I think what we've you know, when you're watching it, you like in anything you you start to see some of the um the other issues that are in it and you know teams that are you know if they're getting to the um three points away from the the you know the 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 the, lo- the level they have to get to um teams will foul intentionally so that they can't get a three point shot off um you know and so that's not great, and, and you know, and so I think you know it's one of those things that I that we've definitely have watched um, develop here over the last two years, and they extended it this year at the tournament, and um, and we'll continue to look at it. it I, I I find it a, an incredibly compelling concept, but as with anything, there's there's some downsides too, which you have to which you have to look at. And uh, but I but I you know when I watched a little bit of that tournament, I thought it was a pretty interesting way to end the game.
4: Well, Tim, thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. I know this is, even though it's the off-season for the NBA, you're working 24-7, 365. You've done an amazing job. The NBA is as popular as ever. It's getting more popular. Uh, you're causing me to go to every game. I've been to, was like, 14 arenas last year. I love the experience, <laughs> and uh, certainly everyone's, everyone we know talks about the NBA all the time. Uh, again, thanks a lot for coming on Ired Sports.
3: You got it, Ira. Anytime. You take care.
0: The following Ira on Sports has been previously recorded. Please enjoy some of Ira's best interviews from 2018. And Ira and the crew look forward to bringing you a new show next Monday night at 7 p.m. on the True Oldies channel for Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. This is Ira on Sports. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira's here as well. Very special guest on the show. It's John Michael. He's your radio play-by-play announcer of the Cleveland Cavaliers. John, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us here on Ira on Sports. You've had an interesting path Uh, from law to doing play-by-play for the Hagerstown Suns and Lake Erie Monsters, two very accomplished hockey teams, now with the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's not everyone's normal life progression, but very exciting stuff.
5: No, I, I'm the most uh, unnecessarily over-educated person in the NBA right now, I think. Uh, I went from actually practicing law uh, on a full-time basis to uh, something you might know a little bit about uh, to, uh, to do in sports, uh, and yeah, I, I worked my way up through the minors did minor league baseball, uh, on to hockey, uh, and then went to the NHL before I came over to the NBA, so uh, I was certainly fortunate, certainly blessed to be heard by the, uh, the right people at the right times, and uh, uh, it all culminated, I guess, in the... Uh, and a championship in 2016 uh, for the Cavaliers. So, uh, yeah, it, it, no question it's been a special ride. It's not the most ordinary ride. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, but it's been something that's that been terrific.
0: You know, you got to see a championship at the Cavaliers. You ever see a championship at the Hagerstown Suns? Just wondering, <laughs> and you're, you know, your time doing that. No, I'm a huge hockey guy. It, you know, it seems like mo- usually people that are into hockey are into hockey, and that's it. And they don't, you know, usually delve off into the basketballs and the baseballs. But obviously, you know, you're a jack-of-all-trades, and you love everything.
5: Well, it, it is funny about it. like it, both basketball and hockey. To me, it's it's so interesting how there's such a, a distinct fan base. You know what I mean? Very few Absolutely. people like both sports. Um, but you know, I, I'm you know I'm from the U.S. You know what I mean? It's not like I have, I'm specialized. I'm not a Canadian broadcaster, or whatever. So yeah, I've I've all I've done all of them uh, in my you know in my career, and I'm equally as comfortable with hockey as I am with basketball. You know what's interesting? I mean, people people always say. Well, hockey's gonna be so much faster because there's, you know, so many guys out there on the ice, you know, they're changing lines all the time and it's so fluid and everything else. Truth is that the pace of the call really is about the same in basketball and hockey. Uh, you know, when the ball starts popping around in basketball, uh, you know, in the half court, you're going equally as fast as, as you are during a hockey game. So there's, there's more similarities than you might think in a play-by-play department in doing both of those sports.
0: You know, John, it's interesting. I've dabbled in a little bit of play-by-play here on the True Oldies channel and doing some sports in South Florida. I've never done hockey, but I've done basketball. I've done football. It seems like hockey, to me, would be the most difficult. It's very hard to depict what's actually happening on the ice. You know, football, it's easy enough. 40-yard line, it's first first and goal, or you know, first and 10. In hockey, it's very hard to depict that to someone who's not watching what they're actually seeing on the ice. That, for me, would be the hard part.
5: You know, what's interesting for me is that I'm, I'm from Western Pennsylvania, so we grew up with the NHL, but we didn't grow up with the NBA, and I'm almost flip flopped. You know, I, it's, to me, it, it's almost easier. I think it's because I just grew up with it, uh, you know, and then I'm in Ohio now, and there was, you know, there were no Columbus Blue Jackets when, you know, our generation yes. was growing up, and I think a lot of people just didn't know the game. So I, it's almost, it's so funny you say that because to me, it's, It's almost opposite. I think it's more natural for me to to call a hockey game. It It took me a while to build to where I am right now in terms of calling the NBA.
2: So, John, this is Ira. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Um, eight years ago, I was at the Cav- the Cleveland Cavaliers, Miami Heat game when it was LeBron's first game back in uh, Cleveland. And people ask me, I've been to a lot of sporting events. They say, "What's the loudest event you've been to?" And I'm like, "Well, maybe Duke, Carolina, when they had the, with the Layner Hurley uh, years, or or perhaps maybe Michael Jordan's last shot game when he was in Utah." But the loudest had been that game. The amount of booze they did against LeBron. I mean, it was truly amazing. Now this Wednesday night, LeBron's coming back for the Lakers. Wednesday night. I don't expect anything like that uh, at um, reception, but what do you feel about this Wednesday night with LeBron coming back for the Lakers for the one time, oh yeah, they're going to be playing the Cavaliers?
3: Yeah, I I sure
5: hope not. I mean, it it, it can't. You're right. I mean, the vitriol and the hatred and everything else that that took place on that first game back... uh, I think I actually think it's going to be fun. I think people are going to be happy to see him, as, as much as it's going to make Clevelanders skin crawl to see him in that purple and gold uh, in a Lakers uniform. Uh, I think it's going to be a nice night. I really do. I think that, you know they're going to have the video tributes. Look, I mean this is a this is a city. And this is a, a you know Northeast Ohio hadn't had a championship since the Lyndon Johnson administration <laughs> before the you know before the Cavs won in 2016 and the Browns before the Super Bowl was even the Super Bowl. Uh, that was the last championship the city ever saw. So it was special, and I think, you know, everybody basically embraced this guy and said, that, you know what, this time we understand. If you want to go somewhere else, we get it. And particularly, you know, you kind of look at this team's record right now, the Cavaliers 2-12, and and it's not all that different of the team that went to the finals each of the last two seasons. And you say to yourself, well, you kind of get the idea, you know, what LeBron was doing or what LeBron was thinking. So I I think I can't wait for Wednesday night. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be good to see him again, you know, back in this building. And, And I sure hope it's nothing like what we saw eight years ago.
2: Um, so has a title, this sort of falls on that Has a title ever meant more to a town Than the 2016 title I mean, I just, I can't imagine I mean, I know they talked about the Red Sox When they finally won the title But I think this was the greatest title for every city I can't think of anything even close to it For the, what it did to the city I mean, they're going to live off this title For years and years and years I mean, there's a lot of Like if the Patriots win a title Two years from now They're going to forget about it when want to fire Belichick But the idea is It just seems like that title Will carry on for a generation of fans
5: yeah, you know why? And I think it's because of all the near misses, you know, from, you know, over all the years. And, the, you know, the, the fumble and, the, you know, the Jose Mesa blowing the save at the end of the game and, and everything else, the drive. You know, you can just run down the list of near misses in Cleveland. And, I, you know, it, so no, I'm not sure there is, you know, in terms of cities winning titles. They finally did it. You know, the monkey was finally off the back of Cleveland. I think what LeBron brought to the city transcended basketball. It really did. I, I thought it gave people hope. I mean, just everyday people walking around gave him hope, not just in the sports world, but made them feel better about themselves when he made the decision back in 2014, and then two years later, he wins the title, and two million of our closest friends were there in downtown Cleveland for the parade that uh, took place a couple of days after the championship. So, yeah, it, it was special. It, it really was for a fan base that had been so... Beaten and downtrodden, and had had come so close so many times that you started feeling they were never going to win one. So, uh, yeah, it was it was something certainly special, and uh, something that the, the, the city's never going to forget. And I think that's why on Wednesday, you know, they're going to look at this guy and say, "Hey, thanks, LeBron." Not not to mention too, you know, all the altruistic things that he does, and you know, he, he donates millions upon millions of dollars back into Northeast Ohio for the kids and, and for schools and everything else. So. Uh, he's a special guy. I think it's going to be a great night on Wednesday, and I think people are going to appreciate him for, uh, for what he did.
2: Well, we had LeBron down here in South Florida for four years, so we got a taste of LeBron and saw his just commitment and two titles. But I guess the question is, you've been around him for all these years, day to day basis, being the radio play by play. What what do we? What are some things about LeBron that the public doesn't see just watching the games? Is there any what, what side of him maybe you can just enlighten the listeners a little bit?
5: Well, it's it's not cliche when you say he's the first guy in and the last guy out. I mean, he literally is the hardest working guy on the floor each and every practice. The first camp he was there, guys. We were sitting there, and he he's so big and strong and fast. When he runs past you, and you're sitting there, it almost makes that sound that like when a car runs past you, that little whoosh. Like he's he's just that big and massive and strong, and and he takes care of himself really better than any other athlete in any sport. That I've ever seen. <laughs> and one thing about his personality is might be easy for you to imagine, but he can't lose. He can't lose at anything. And it, we first stories about Michael Jordan that way. It, LeBron is the same way. Can't stand losing, which is why to me, I was curious how this Lakers season would work out because he knew he had to be patient this year. They're starting to play a little bit better basketball as of late. Obviously, he put up fifty-one down there in Miami, but. Uh, I, he's not a patient human, uh, but but he's a great guy. And I, I have nothing but great things to say about LeBron James. And he's one of, in terms of basketball, there's never been anybody like him. And, I, you know, I talk to the old-timers all the time. Was Oscar Robertson like this? You know, his all-around game, And said, no, this guy's one of a kind, and we may never see anything like this ever again. Uh, so, you know, I wish him the best of luck, uh, to, you know, and that, like I said, I think it's going to be great to see him on Wednesday.
2: Um, were you surprised when Kyrie, I mean, I think to the outsiders not following the team so much, they were surprised when Kyrie re- requested the trade, but did that was that, so did you get a sense that there was something, there was some friction between Kyrie and LeBron, or did, uh, did that come as a surprise to you as, as to everyone else?
5: Total surprise to me, total. I, I mean, I've been around this team every day. And I never sensed that ever. And I mean, now listen. I mean, Kyrie's a proud young man. You know, he he wants to do his own thing, and that obviously became clear when he demanded the trade and you know wanted to carry his own team uh, to those kind of heights. But no, did I sense that they weren't getting along? I didn't. You know, it's it's interesting too. You look at those two years when they played together. I mean, Kyrie was taking more shots than LeBron. It's not like LeBron, you know, it's not like Kyrie didn't get a chance to blossom. Kyrie was shooting more than LeBron did during those two seasons. So, yeah, I was surprised. You know, it wasn't like he treated him like a little brother. It wasn't, you know, there were no outward signs that you could point to where you said, yeah, I think Kyrie's not happy. So I, it caught me out of the blue. I think it. Caught, I really think it caught LeBron out of the blue. Uh, and there was just, a, just an article in The Athletic, I think it just came out today, talking about that, saying, you know, that LeBron said that was the beginning of the end uh, for this franchise, and yeah, he was right, they didn't, you know, get close in terms of getting back to that level of the finals, or, you know, being there, they they lost of course in five the next year, and four last year, um, as the Warriors were, were clearly the superior team without Kyrie Irving in the lineup.
2: So we're talking to John Michael, the Cleveland Cavaliers play-by-play radio um, person. Uh, I guess this year's team, only two wins, but what's your impression with the team, especially the rookie Colin Sexton? I know it's a rebuilding team, but at the same time, there's a lot of veterans on the team, so with the same roster that you had last year. So what what are your impressions so far this year, and do you think this team has what it takes to try to make a a playoff run?
5: Well, the first thing with Colin Sexton, I think he's he's coming along. And right now, I mean, the the idea is with this team – Let's find, let's identify some core young players who maybe in two or three seasons from now, when this team gets back to near where it wants to be, can help this team down the road. And I think it starts with Colin Sexton. Uh, George Hill's been out of the lineup, but Sexton has started his last four games, seems to get better and better every game. Still need, like a lot of young point guards, he still gets his own before he gets his teammates involved, and that's to be expected. He knows that's a part of his game that has to improve, but uh, I think he's going to be fine the, the number eight overall pick in Sexton. He's a big part of what this team is doing moving forward. I, I also think we're going to see more youth from this team. I mean, I really do believe that the goal was to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season, and I think that, you know, that was indicated by the signing of Kevin Love to the massive contract to get him on board. But Kevin got injured early in the season. Cavs have already dealt with a number of injuries, and they've dug themselves a, a big hole, as you mentioned. Uh, so I think, it would, obviously, it would be tough to get back to the playoffs right now. I think what you will see is younger players getting a chance to step up. Players like Jordan Clarkson, players like Rodney Hood, even David Nwaba, uh Jetty Osmond, those type of guys, they're going to get some heavy minutes moving forward, I would guess. Um, just to see who can play and just to see who could potentially help this team down the road. I think that's the goal of this organization right now. Uh,
2: thanks, John. I, and the one final question would be, I know you're a big Notre Dame fan because you went to Notre Dame. Um, you must have been very happy about Saturday's uh, win against Syracuse. And, and what's and are you predicting national championship this year?
5: <laughs> I think that's a little aggressive. I think one there's this one college team that seems to be uh, on a slightly different level than anybody else. But, uh yeah, I'd love to see them keep the three spot. I think they have a decent shot to beat Clemson. Don't overlook the USC game, by the way. I know USC is having a down year. Notre Dame finishes at USC. Always a tough game, uh, but man, they, Notre Dame has looked good. That Syracuse game was impressive. That's a good. That's a good football team that that Notre Dame really dominated uh, last Saturday. So yeah, I'm not predicting championship, but I, I I will say yeah, I give them a fighting chance against Clemson. Um, but I don't think anybody has a fighting chance against Alabama, to be honest with you guys.
2: Well, thanks a lot, John, for coming on IRON Sports. I'll, I'm going to try to make the game Wednesday night. I've been, it's really going to be an event to be there, to see LeBron come back to Cleveland for his first time back wearing a Laker uniform. But thanks again for coming on IRON Sports.
5: Well, if you do, come on, swing up by the radio booth and say hi.
0: The following Ira on Sports has been previously recorded. Please enjoy some of Ira's best interviews from 2018, and Ira and the crew look forward to bringing you a new show next Monday night at 7 p.m. on the True Oldies channel for Ira on Sports. 7:20. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Time to ring in Alex Reimer, W.E.E.I. Sports radio personality out of New England. Alex, are you here with us, man? Thank you for joining us. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing really good, Alex. So I, I've got a question. You know, on this show, Ira's a big Steelers fan. And week in and week out, we just kind of rip apart the Steelers' chemistry, the coaching, <laughs> their decisions. In New England and in Boston, is there any kind of feeling— like, I think Bill Belichick's the greatest coach that's ever that's ever been in, in the league. Is there any kind of dissension— throughout the fan base, and through media personalities like you, that maybe the Patriots have kind of run their course on how everything's going after a loss like this?
6: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it necessarily starts with, it definitely didn't start with the loss yesterday. I mean, a lot of this stuff been going on since the Super Bowl. You yes. go to the Malcolm Butler benching, the weirdness of that, the Sky plays every defensive snap throughout the playoffs, almost every defensive snap in the regular season, and then for the entirety of the Super Bowl while your secondary is getting sliced up by Nick Foles of all people. So even going back to that and Belichick not giving an explanation, then you have Tom Brady not officially committing to return until the spring. Gronk did the same thing. It's just been it's been about 12 months of weirdness surrounding this team, going back to the Garoppolo trade and those ESPN pieces and the reports that Brady went behind Belichick, went to Kraft and said I want to stay here. Kraft telling Belichick trade Jimmy G. Yeah. Read the reports that Belichick had agreed to send Gronk to the Lions this offseason as well, but then Gronk in to retire. So, long story short, guys, uh, no, this stuff is not new. It's been a very bizarre 12 months here. Lots of palace intrigue, and for the most part, this season, the Patriots seem to put a lot of that behind them. But now, I think they have the look of the old prize fighter who is trying to scrape it together for one more bout of greatness. Yeah, 41 year old Brady Gronk, who clearly is not what he was, Edelman, and. You know, it doesn't seem like they can do it, as you could saw yesterday. But long story short, and no, this kind of stuff's been going on for again the better part of the last year.
0: Great metaphor in the the old the old boxer who's on his last yeah. tour. But I was going to ask you that too. And listen, I, I'm uh, I like the Patriots. The, I, I'm an NFC fan. I have no problem with dynasties. Rob Gronkowski this year does not look like Rob Gronkowski. I haven't seen a game yet where he's 160 yards, 8 catches, 2 touchdowns. Do you think those days are behind Rob? I mean, you think it caught up with him?
6: Without a doubt. Uh, You know, he's undergone 8 surgeries during his professional career. We all know that's why he dropped in the draft in 2010. He missed his entire junior year of college due to back problems, had back surgery. So this is not surprising for Gronk. Uh, Last year he was fantastic. He had an incredible December, caught two touchdown passes in this before. As you guys know, he's working with TV 12 and Alex Guerrero and Brady's fitness mm-hmm. guru. And he seems to be more pliable and more agile than ever down the stretch last year. Certainly was healthy. But, you know, you go back to Gronk again, not fully committing to return this season until April. Asked about his playing status after the Super Bowl. He said, we'll see. And just again, for the last year and a half, there's been questions about, Gronk's commitment, and I think that's the reason why Belichick wanted to trade him this offseason. Belichick, you guys know, is always out ahead of these things. He'd rather be a year too too early than a year too late, and at 29 years old, going on 30, yeah, I think Gronk's body has taken enough. I think mentally he's wavering about whether or not he wants to play again. Reports say he was thinking about retiring as as, as long ago as last August, August 2017, so if that's true, it's just so hard to play at a top level when you're mentally wavering. So, yeah, I, I think we we have seen the best of Rob Gronkowski. And, you know, what you saw against the Steelers is kind of what a lot of the year has been. Uh, six of his eight games he's played in this year, he's had four, in eight games rather, this year, he's had four catches or fewer. He has not been involved in the offense for all quarters. He's much easier to contain than he once was. I mean, the Steelers could never contain him previously, but only held him to
0: two catches yesterday. So,
6: yeah, again, I go back to that old prize fire, prize. Metaphor and Gronk fits
0: that to a T. Well, that was the thing. He, he was undefendable. There were so many teams in the league just they, they threw their hands in the air. We have no idea how to deal with this guy coming over yeah. the middle. He, he's guaranteed sixty yards if he makes the catch. We got to make sure he doesn't catch it. Again, we're speaking with Alex Reimer, W E E I Sports Radio personality here on Ira on Sports. I want to hear more about the Jimmy G thing, and we will do that. But I'm going to turn you over to Ira because I think he's got to grill you a little bit after a big Pittsburgh win.
4: no well thanks Alex for coming on I really appreciate it um I guess one of the questions and I've always I would ask the Jimmy D but the first question is I was up there two years ago the AFC championship game um and the home field advantage that the Patriots have at home especially in the playoffs it's just like the Steelers did it I was there and I I thought we were going to win when I walked in and then when I got there I'm like they're not going to win it's just what is it that makes Gillette so difficult to, for these teams to win, even, even the aging prize fighter or whatever, and thinking that if they could get the two seed and maybe something happens and they could have home field throughout the playoffs, what, what makes Gillette so special that the Patriots seem to be unbeatable at home?
6: Well, I think most NFL teams are better at home than on the road, right? Um, but yeah, Gillette, it's not necessarily the loudest stadium, as you guys know. Just for whatever reason, you get there in December. Patriots so dominant at home. I believe heading into uh, last week, well, the last two losses been on the road, but at home in his career in December, I think Tom Brady only has two losses. That just shows you how unbeatable the Patriots have been to let. And yeah, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this year if the Patriots going to go on the road in January, I do not like their chances at all. Now we've said a lot of doom and gloom for the last five minutes, but. There still is a good chance the Patriots get a first-round by and have home field for the divisional round. Because right now, Houston is the number two. But if they lose to Philadelphia at Philadelphia next week, which is a possibility, especially given how well the Eagles played last night, uh, Patriots take care of business against the Bills and Jets at home the final two weeks of the year. They're 11-5, and five, number two seed, and here we go. So it, it's not out of the question yet, but certainly this year you see them 3-5 and five on the road, uh, the Packers, 2010 Packers, the only team in NFL history that's won a Super Bowl with a sub-500 road record. So, uh, yeah, the disparity has has never been greater. And just from a playing standpoint this year, the defense, especially on the road, has been terrible. They have not been able to stop the run, whether it's uh, the Jaguars or Kerryon Johnson of the Lions or the Titans or yesterday, you know, Jalen Samuels, who just ran all over. I mean, these are not exactly high-priced, <laughs> big-name backs doing it either. So. Yeah, they have not been able to stop anybody on the road, especially running backs, and we saw that to be true yesterday. That was a big reason why the Steelers won.
4: But it seems like the national media has turned this into Tom Brady slipping. He's not what he was. I mean, you mentioned all the problems that had nothing to do with Brady, the fact that Gronk and the defense. And what, what right. have you seen in terms of uh, Brady? And, and, and what was your opinion of the Jimmy G Brady issue? And considering that Jimmy G hasn't been healthy, wasn't healthy in, in New England and is not healthy in San Francisco. Uh, well, if he stayed again, here, he may have stayed in
6: bounds. And if he stayed here, I don't know if he would have stepped out of bounds and saved his ACL. <laughs> so I'm partially kidding um and that's a complicated question I'll, I'll, I'll take the first the brady part first how do i think brady's looked this year he hasn't looked the same he's looked like for the first time finally starting to show his age and you had a couple of really bad decisions in the red zone yesterday the horrible interception which he says he was trying to throw away and then the last series on the goal line was just so atrocious you have the three heaves into the end zone. In the last play in particular, Brady is falling away as he's throwing the ball into the end zone. Gronk is like triple covered. Very uh, There was no one near him. Yeah. There was, right, there are no pass rushers near him and he's still falling falling to the other side like he's facing a rush. It tells me Brady in his head is is, is, is seeing things that aren't there. Uh, the week previously in Miami, he takes a sack at the end of the first half or gets so many timeouts there are. So you are seeing Brady slip in those key situations, not just physically, but mentally as well. Uh, so, no, he's not the same guy. I still think good enough to win most weeks. Uh, but, no, not the same guy he's been. Uh, and to answer the Jimmy Garoppolo question, again, we talk about Belichick wanting to be ahead of these things. If Bill Belichick had his way, there's little doubt in my mind that Tom Brady would not be the quarterback of the Patriots right now. It would be Jimmy Garoppolo. I agree. Because Belichick always wants to get—I'm sorry?
0: I agree 100%. Keep going.
6: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, Belichick, look at how he's handled every other position— uh, on the Patriots, whether it's linebacker, defensive line, cornerback, wide receiver, go on down the line, Wes Welker, uh, Deion Brandt. You Richard are expendable. Seymour, Logan right. I mean, there, there are a million <laughs> of these guys. Uh, Darrell Revis, who Belichick gets out ahead of this thing and turns it over. And he wanted to do that at quarterback. Jimmy G was the heir apparent. But I think Brady went to Kraft, and this has been reported numerous times, and said, I'm going to play for the next X amount of years. And Kraft feels loyalty to Brady and went to Belichick. Brady's our guy. Go fix this problem. So, yeah, long story short, I think if Belichick had his way, Tom Brady would not be the quarterback of the Patriots right now. And I don't think Gronk would be the tight end. And the Patriots would be in the transition year, yes, but you wouldn't see this scenario where they really have no long-term plan. You know, going into next year, Brady and Edelman are both up at the end of 2019. Gronk carries a $12 million cap that he may be gone this year with no contingency plan at tight end, the Patriots through Belichick's 18 years have always had a contingency plan. They don't have that right now. And in this whole R they have where, again, they're kind of on their last legs is, is certainly not the way Belichick uh, would have drawn it up. At least I think there were some forces here working against them, whether that was Brady, you know, campaigning to play for longer, Kraft telling him to trade Jimmy G, Gronk mixing a trade to the Lions, what have you. But it's some key spots on this team. Uh, yeah, I, I think Belichick would have moved on from some of these guys. I do.
4: Well, the, and, the, and the question would be then, they don't really have a backup plan for anything, but they do for the first time ever seem to have a backup coaching plan or coach in waiting plan. The idea is, did you think Belichick, does he stay on? Does he want to be part of the rebuilding effort? Or is this something that Josh McDaniels, who almost left last year or, or did leave and changed his mind or whatever, he changed it or did leave or whatever, but would McDaniels, is it a stage where, where we can look next year? McDaniels is the coach of the Patriots and Brady's not there.
6: I don't know how attractive of a job this is without Tom Brady. I I just don't. Mm. Uh, Unless you like your relationship with ownership, the crafts is so strong. But, you know, without a quarterback, again, you're following Belichick, you're following Brady. I think the odds are much greater that McDaniels takes another job next year. Cleveland looks like a great opportunity with Baker Mayfield. He's from the area, as we all know. Uh, you know, so no, I, I don't think McDaniels is, is, is Belichick's replacement here because I think that there will be job offers for him this off season. And I think it's time for him to go as far as last year. Why did he come back? I think that was probably as simple as he had doubts about the Colts, had doubts about Andrew Luck's health, and you're always going to be a top coaching candidate, coaching Tom Brady, you know, being Brady's offensive coordinator. So McDaniels figured to play it safe for another year, but, yeah, you you always hear the and the head coach and waiting stuff. We've heard that for a number of years with Josh, but you know, I, again, without Brady, with no quarterback, you know, in sight, I just I just don't see how attractive a job this is to be honest with you. I think Cleveland with Baker Mayfield is way more
4: attractive. We're talking to Alex Reimer from High uh, Sports Radio in Boston, and writer for the Boston Magazine, Forbes, SD Nation, one of the best young. Sports writers and, and, and commentators in the country, really. Uh, but I, wow. I can be really for one second <laughs> to, to baseball um, because I was at the. I was, I'm in LA right now, and I was at the uh, World Series uh, for all the games. And the run the Red Sox had to defeat the Yankees three out of four games, to come in as an underdog against the Astros, losing the first game and then win four straight when everyone thought the Astros were definitely going to be in the box, and then go to the World Series and beat a very, very good Dodger team four out of five games. What made this Red Sox team different than the other World Series champions they have? I know it's funny to say other worlds when you went hundreds of years without one, but, but the idea yeah. is what made this team so special in, uh, in terms of a team and their ability
0: to win those three
4: series?
6: It was really never in doubt. You know, we all know the story of 0-4, come back from 3-0 against the Yankees.
0: Or it's the worst weekend of my life. at least
6: Wired. I'm sorry? It's the
0: worst weekend of my life as a Yankee fan. <laughs> <laughs>
6: right, 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 yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, you go to 07, that was a great team, but they were down 3-1 in the ALCS against Cleveland, 13. They came back. My point is they were never, it was never in doubt. The turning point was game three of the ALDS, You're tied 1-1 against the Yankees. and Nathan Evaldi goes on the mound at the Yankee Stadium. There was a gem. He scored 16 runs or whatever it was. You beat the Yankees in four. You beat the Astros in five. You, you beat the Dodgers in five. Again, dominate every series end to end. They're just they they were clearly head and shoulders better than anybody else in the league this year. Great offense, great starting rotation, a bullpen that was shaky for the bulk of the year, but came together at the end thanks to this new rover position they created uh, with Ivaldi and Porcello and Price uh, filling in on their off days. So. Yeah, I mean, this was certainly the most dominant Red Sox team of all time, and they won the most games in franchise
4: history. And then one more sport, because Boston is the center of the sports universe, I guess, to Boston people. But also, it is definitely, you guys have a lot of great sports teams, but the Celtics. Is this part of the season? Or is this like? Are they? It's so early. I know it's just December. Is this like we're just? We're used to when LeBron, Bosh, and Wade were formed in Miami. It took them two months to figure out how to play basketball together. Is this a season right. where they're just trying to feel their way out, and they're going to be the number one seed or number? It doesn't really matter what seed they'll be, and they'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then be in the NBA Finals. Or are there systematic problems with this team, with Kyrie, with getting everybody playing together and the Tatum's and the Browns? It wasn't as seamless as everyone thought it was going to be when everybody was going to be healthy.
6: Well, I, I think they should rest one of their All-Stars every night because they've been on this little streak with corporate <laughs> out of the lineup. They were in and out as we saw earlier, right? They can't win with them all in. <laughs> They're better when They're undermanned. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's a long NBA season. You guys mentioned how that took the heat a couple of months to really play together. Uh, that's what's unique about the 08 Celtics 10 years ago. That was a team that really was just – Dynamic from the start, so that was a bit of a different situation. Since Pierce, Allen, and Garnett were all at the end of their careers, had already made their money, already made their All Star teams, and they were ready to win a championship, and they were fine sacrificing individual numbers or brand. Um, you know, this year, look, it's it's a long haul. I think it's most Brad Stevens' most challenging job to date in a lot of respects, trying to mess all of these egos and personalities. He had a lot of young guys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, most notably, who flourished last season with Hayward out of the lineup. Irving out of the lineup, they got lots of minutes, lots of scoring opportunities. And now this year, they've been asked to dial that back. And that's been a struggle for them, especially Jalen Brown as we move to the bench. But the last two weeks or so, they've changed up their lineup, putting in Marcus Morris, who shot the ball well. Marcus Smart has given him a real tenacious defensive edge. Uh, So I think the Celtics will be fine. The NBA, at the end of the day, is a talent geek. Very rarely does a team stack the talent not make a respectable playoff run, and I expect the Celtics to do the same this year when all is said and
0: done. You know, Alex, you bring up some great points. I like that you were a very level-headed Boston fan, and I'm a level-headed New York fan, so I'll give some appreciation, you you know, where it's due in this situation. Honestly, I agree with you on the the Boston Red Sox take. You guys were one of the best teams I've ever seen. I never thought the Yankees had a chance against you guys, and we won 100-plus games. Is there anything the Yankees could do this offseason that would make you think any less about the Red Sox repeating as the AL East champ?
6: <laughs> well, I mean, a couple of things. They got James
0: Paxton. with He's, a he's all right. He's all right. When he's, healthy. he's all right. He's oh, all right.
6: Come on. Well, I guess you guys are just negative. He's a, are. The guy can't um, stay on
0: the field, and he's a 3-5 ERA. I, I, yeah, the, yeah. Listen, I'm not saying there's Chris yeah, Sales available everywhere, but would there be any yeah, move? But, I, I think Thor would have been a big move for the Yankees.
6: What would have been a big move? Cindergard. Oh, Cindergard. Oh, I think you get him yeah. in however we'll they we'll could possibly. Gets, we'll see if he gets moved, right? Well, that, that's I done mean. now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees, the two big things stood out to the Yankees to me. Uh, Their rotation is thin, which I think they've at least partially addressed with Paxton. You may think less of them than I do. I, I think uh, he's but fine. Also offen- but, also, but also offensively, they hit tons of home runs, led the league at homers, but easy to pitch to. You know, Jean Carl Stanton, pretty easy to pitch to. Uh, other guys in that line, if the home run ball wasn't working for them, uh, they had nothing. And that was the thing that I think was so good about this Red Sox offense this year. Yes, obviously they had the power with J.D. Martinez and Rookie Betts had an MVP season and going down the line, but they got lots of production from the bottom of their order in the playoffs. And also, they were stringing together long rallies. Blocks, singles, doubles. It wasn't just boom or bust home run ball, which is what the Yankees, Dodgers, and a tons of other teams were. It's 90% uh, of the league. So yeah. I mean, I think the Yankees may have to add some more diversity to their lineup as well.
0: No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I brought it up on this show. I run sports multiple times. The Red Sox are doing it old school. We move runners, we play defense and we get timely base hits and keep guys on base. And, this is what's winning now, despite the long ball strikeout thing that everybody else is trying to do. This is why I think you guys are poised <laughs> to just cruise right back to at least the ALCS. So you know, I give you some credit there, there, Alex. Uh, Ira, anything left for uh, Alex Reimer?
4: No, Alex. Thanks a lot for coming on. And and I want to tell you something. I think there's a chance if the Steelers end up having the four seed and, and the Patriots get the two seed, you could just see. You can just see a situation where the Steelers in like three weeks or four weeks in January are going up, going up to Gillette for uh, for a game. Uh, it, it, it could work out that way in terms of the, the playoffs and how things go. So we'll maybe I'll have you on after that to, 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 to summarize uh, whether it's finally the end of the Patriots or now they're headed to the next Super Bowl. But uh, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it.
6: All right, sounds good. I'm sure at that point we'll be talking about the big Roethlisberger pick. He threw two Sunday, and the Patriots <laughs> let him off. So thanks, guys. <laughs>